first acted out, then represented in ritual, those would be the rituals of sacrifice, then laid out in story, then turned into a psychological phenomena so that now we're capable of making sacrifices in abstraction, right? To conceptualize a future that we want, to let go of the things that are stopping us from moving forward, and to free ourselves from the chains of our original preconceptions. And that's laid out in these old stories as the optimal pathway of being. And there's a philosopher of science named Karl Popper, a very sensible and down-to-earth person, who was talking about thinking and its nature, and he was thought about thinking in a Darwinian fashion. He said, the purpose of thinking is to let your thoughts die instead of you. It's a brilliant notion. And so the idea is something like, you can conjure up a representation of yourself. You can conjure up a variety of potential representations of yourself into the, in the future. You can lay out how those future representations of yourself are likely to prevail or fail. You can cull the potential yous in the future that will fail, and then you can embody the ones that will succeed. You do that well simultaneously, conjuring up a representation of your current state and determining for yourself because of your undue suffering, which elements of your pathetic being need to be given up so that you can move forward into that future? What is it that you're aiming at with that work and that sacrifice? That's the ultimate question. It's the question I was trying to address in that writing. What is it that you're trying to do? Well, you're trying to improve the future. We believe that the future can be improved. We believe that it can be improved as a consequence of our sacrificial work. And so, once again, what are the limitations? What are the limits to that? What are the necessary limits to that? I would say we don't know. I would say as well that that's actually something that the entire corpus of biblical stories is trying desperately to articulate, to figure out and articulate, right? We conjured up this remarkable idea. The future exists. We can see it even though it's only potential. We can adjust our behavior in the present in order to maximize our probability of success in the future. How best to do that? Well, the idea is something like, don't hesitate to offer the ultimate sacrifice if you want the future to turn out ultimately well. Now, obviously, that idea is clothed in metaphysical speculation and religious imagery, but it still remains an intensely practical issue. Right? What is it that you could contract for, let's say, if you were willing to give up everything about you that's weak and unworthy? The proper sacrificial attitude produces a psychological state and then a social state that's a manifestation of that attitude that decreases the probability that the world will careen into hell and increases the probability that people will live high quality, meaningful, private lives in a society that's balanced and capable of supporting that. And none of that seems to me to be questionable, really. I also don't think it's anything that people don't actually know. You know, people have told me many times that when they listen to me talk, they're hearing things that they already knew but didn't know how to say. It's something like that. And this is one of those things that I think is exactly like that. I mean, 
I think it's at the very core of our moral knowledge, which is our behavioral knowledge and our perceptual knowledge. I mean, let's get this straight. Moral knowledge is no trivial matter. It's knowledge about how it is that you orient yourself in the world. There's no more profoundly necessary form of knowledge. Well, it's predicated on, on something that's exactly like this. We know that we have to make sacrifices. We know that we have to aim at what's good. So then why isn't that we don't aim at what's best and make the sacrifices that are necessary in order to bring that into play? I think it seems to me that in some sense that's self-evident. The question is why we don't do it, but there's answers to that too already in the material that we've covered. Life is hard and it hurts people. It's rife with limitation and some of it's arbitrary and some of it's unjust and some of it's worse, some of it's malevolent, which is even worse and something I haven't talked about at all in this lecture. It's not surprising that that combination of vicissitude can turn people against being. But I think even when that happens, and even when people have the kind of history that if they revealed to you, you would say, well, it's no wonder you turned out that way. The people who turn out that way still know that it's wrong. They still know that however deep their own suffering, however arbitrary their own suffering, however much that's caused by the malevolence of others, as well as the tragedy of existence, that that does not in any way justify their turning away from the good. And I believe everyone knows that. I believe that they know it implicitly, even if they don't allow themselves to know it explicitly. And I believe that if they violate that idea, then they violate themselves and that they end up in Cain's position, which is the position of the man who's been given a punishment that is too great to bear.